So uh, this morning we're continuing. We're going to be looking at the second sermon in our series, uh, walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open in them to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 to 11 here this morning. Uh, and as we did, so last night uh, I was sitting there and uh, we were watching In the Heights. I don't know if anybody's seen that. It's a pretty new uh, movie slash musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda. So if you don't know that name, uh, he wrote Hamilton. Uh, some of you know that I totally geek out on Hamilton. I absolutely adore that musical. It's like my favorite musical of all time. And, and In the Heights was actually uh, Miranda's first musical that he wrote. And so now it's a movie. So the reason I bring that up is last night as I'm watching the movie, I'm, I'm actually, there's a lot of sounds that sound very similar to Hamilton. Uh, and there was one phrase that kept going through my mind as I, my mind began to drift towards this morning and thinking about walking through this book of Ecclesiastes, and, and it comes from a song in Hamilton. It's in the last act. Um, it's by Eliza Hamilton, so that's uh, Alexander, Alexander Hamilton's wife after, uh, we, we will just say, uh, he made a very poor decision that jeopardized his marriage and really alienate, alienated his bride. And the song Burn uh, it, it kind of contains the lyrics that I was thinking of, and, and the song Burn was really her response uh, to what uh, her husband had done. And uh, Miranda says this song is actually a pretty important moment in the musical because historically, Eliza, if you read, read Chernow's uh, biography about Hamilton and do some more digging, she kind of disappears from the story at that point. You can literally find nothing that she wrote after that moment until uh, it, after Alexander had died. And there's one line that was haunting me as I started thinking about this sermon here this morning, and it was Eliza saying this in that song. She said, I'm erasing myself from the narrative. She's saying, I am taking my name out of this narrative of your life, Alexander. Now, she didn't say that in real life. Again, that's what gave uh, Miranda some license uh, to really unpack her character um, as he kind of saw fit throughout the rest of the musical, but you'll see it tie in here in just a moment. But but think about that for a minute. She said, I am erasing myself from the narrative. The reason this was a haunting line to me as I thought about Ecclesiastes is as you read through this book, especially from chapters 1 to 11, barring a couple of verses in, verse, in chapter 3 and chapter 8, it appears that Kehelet, we talked about that's the author of this book, has essentially erased God from the narrative of his search for meaning in life. It's really a search for meaning without God being involved at all. Some people would call this book uh, pre-evangelism, right? It's sitting down with someone and saying, hey, this is an investigation of what life without God looks like. And so that's what we're going to explore here this morning. If you have Ecclesiastes or if you have your Bibles, again, Open in it to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And we're going to start off looking at the question. There is a question Kehelet asks that really uh, begins this search for meaning. And I would argue, at least uh, in this section that we're looking at, uh, without God really being in the picture. And here's what he says in verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. All right, so there's the question before you. What does a man, patriarchal society, so man also refers to humankind, man and woman, what does a person gain 
by all the toil at which they toil under the sun. So let's talk about a couple of these words. First word is gain. Gain is a business term. Uh, it's similar to what we read in Mark chapter 8 when Jesus asked the question, what, what good is it if, if a person gains the whole world but forfeits their soul? Another way of looking at this in financial terms is this is really asking, what's the return on investment? What's the return on investment for all of the toil that I give myself to over the course of life? So there's a second word we need to do business with, toil. What is toil actually referring to? Well, it's this idea of work, right? And it's not just work you get paid for, right? It's work like uh, changing diapers and, 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 you know, fixing appliances in your house when it breaks down to uh, whatever uh, job you go and get paid for if you do so. It could be homework. It could be school. But, but, but it's this idea of work, but it has a negative connotation to it. It's more of a picture of hard work, working your fingers to the bone, drudgery, sometimes misery. Here's the third term in verse 3, at which he toils under the sun. What does under the sun mean? Well, Ecclesiastes is the only book of the Bible that really uses this phrase, although it uses it an absorbent amount of time. Right? It, says it, it says it often in this book, but it's not really used anywhere else in the Old Testament. And so uh, Tremper Longman, a uh, theologian, uh, did a lot of work on this and basically said, hey, uh, the only way we can understand it is looking at extra biblical literature or looking outside of the Bible. And he said, essentially, as you look into that, it's essentially saying um, uh, everything in the natural created world without God being in the picture at all. Right? So it's literally under the sun. No taking God himself into consideration. And so here's kind of a summary statement, I think, of what this question is getting at. And you'll see how it unravels as we go through this text. But it says, basically, we spend our lives working. But Kehelet points to the ceaseless making and unmaking that goes on and on and on in the human story. Our work tends to be like waves down the shore or at the beach, depending on where you come from, right? Where it just rises and falls over and over and over again. The problem here is, you know, where do we face life's futility? Well, Kehelet's saying we face it everywhere the sun shines. So here's a question as we get going. Where does life feel like pointless toil to you right now? Where does life feel like pointless toil to you right now? All right, here's a second point we're going to look at today, and it's this idea of the treadmill. It's the treadmill. If you have your Bibles, let's keep looking. Verses 5 to 10. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to a place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. All right, so this is, is uh, something we call, uh, or what Derek Kidner would actually call, a picture of the treadmill of life. 
Now, I'm just curious. How many of y'all like treadmills? Anybody like treadmills? Yeah, I, I don't think so. There's not many. Maybe you do, and I don't mean to step on your toes if you're a treadmill lover, right? If you're a connoisseur of treadmills. But um, I personally detest treadmills. Um, so uh, this is a long time ago. We were living in Lancaster County. I was training for a half marathon. Uh, it's the only half marathon I've ever read. They don't build baby giraffes to run long distances, so I'm just not a fan. Uh, but there were times where you've got to keep training, right? And it, it gets cold, it gets rainy, uh, and the weather just gets bad enough where I don't want to go outside and train. So at the time, I went to the YMCA there uh, in Lancaster County. And so I'd get on the treadmill, and I'm like, i got to run like eight, nine miles on a treadmill. It's miserable. I'm like running. I can't get the thing lined up to whatever station it says on the TV. By the way, they don't even make phones with radio stations. Why do they put radio stations on the TV for you to tune into? Anyway, I'm just not smart enough to figure it out. But I'm running, and I'm like looking at a robin's nest. I remember this one time. I was like, please let the mama robin come home. Like I was just dying for entertainment. It was so monotonous and awful. And that's kind of what Kahelet is saying life feels like. You know, why why don't we love treadmills, especially you runners? Because it's just repetitive, right? Did you see the repetitive language in 5 to 7? He gives us three natural pictures of how repetitive life can be. Verse 5, the sun rises, it goes down, and it hastens back to the place where it rises. It's like up, down, back, up, down, back, right? The wind blows, verse 6, here's the second illustration. It blows to the south and goes around to the north, and around goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. You know, sometimes someone will be like, I want to be free like the wind. The wind is not free. Right here it's saying it just goes around and it comes right back to where it was. The third picture is that of streams. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. To me, it was just this picture of running a bathtub without the plug in it, right? It's like that's what happens in the water cycle. Things just flow, and it just keeps flowing. The, 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 the oceans are never full, and they flow back to the same place over and over again. What's the point of him making this statement? Well, uh, Gibson in Living Life Backwards says this, the preacher's perspective is this. Humans long to come across something in their lives that will break the constant repetitive cycle, something to say or see or hear that will be truly new and therefore significant. But there is nothing. There's nothing new under the sun. You know what happens when you do something repetitively physically? What happens? You, you get what we call overuse injuries, right? Now, they're just things that, that uh, happen to us in our body, shin splints, right, that, that happen. And I think it, it, it happens similarly to our souls, right? Shin splints of the heart. You know, one is verse 8. One of the impacts is weariness. All things are full of weariness. The second thing is this idea of we will never be satisfied. I know you Hamilton fans are singing a line from that song right now as I say those words, but but I'm actually quoting verse 8 where it says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ears filled with hearing. Has there ever been a day where this can be more clearly seen? Think about what our eyes see and how they're never satisfied. How many things do we have to watch right now? We have 8,000 cable channels if you still have cable, and then you have Netflix and Amazon Prime and 
HBO Max and Apple TV and, and now Peacock and right, everybody's getting on the gig. Then you have YouTube, which I forget how many uh, years of video are uploaded every day, but it is unbelievable. And you know what? Then we have Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and social media. And you know what we have the audacity to say? There's nothing to watch. I'm bored, right? Should those words ever come out of our mouths? Probably not. What about our ears never being satisfied? Streams of music, Apple Music, Spotify, Pandora, XM Radio, right? We're never satisfied. You know, Facebook gets that. They get we're never satisfied, and they market to us. They say, let's take off, let's make our scrolling able to be infinite. And what do we do? Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, send back, forth, back, forth, right? It's like ping pong. We're never satisfied. We're never satisfied. The Bible called it thousands of years ago that Netflix wouldn't be enough. What does that land on? Verses 9 and 10. What has been will be, and there's nothing new under the sun. One person said this, The pleasure of novelty is by its very nature more subject than any other to the law of diminishing returns. Let me read that again. The pleasure of novelty is by its very nature more subject than any other to the law of diminishing returns. We'll never get that same high. It will never fully satisfy us. Our senses are fed and they're fed, and they're never filled. And here's what I'd love to say. I'd love to stand up here and say, hey, but if you're a Christian, it's all totally different. But I actually don't believe that's true in a post-Genesis 3 world, because what happens in Genesis 3? Humankind raised their fist at God and said, I am not going to be satisfied by you. I'm going to find my satisfaction and meaning somewhere else. And there began our constant journey and futility. Here's what this passage pushes us to. It pushes us to stop pretending that what we just talked about, about the repetitive nature of life and the seeming futility, isn't true. Stop pretending that that is not true. When we're able to finally do that, we can begin to really engage how we truly live. Gibson goes on to say this, the reality is we spend our lives trying to escape the constraints of our created condition. Opening our eyes to this is a significant breakthrough. To be human is to be a creature. To be a creature is to be finite. We are not God. We are not in control. And we will not live forever. We will die. But if we avoid this reality by playing let's pretend, then we're going to find a continual exercise in futility. So let's pretend for a second. Let's pretend. Because right now the world around us is constantly saying, hey, pretend you're going to find satisfaction here. Pretend that you're not on the treadmill of life. So let's play pretend. Let's pretend that a promotion, or in my case, if the church explodes in growth, or if our child is the MVP of whatever league they're in, or if they get a job, that we will arrive, that we'll be satisfied, that we'll have a legacy. Let's pretend that if we change our jobs, 
if we follow our dream, if we become self-employed so we don't have to answer to anybody else, then we won't feel the droning on of work. Let's pretend if we have more money, a vacation house, a car, that then we'll be happy. Let's pretend if we just had a spouse, or if we didn't have our spouse, or if we had somebody else's spouse, or we had that type of friend, or that friend group. If we finally had those things, we wouldn't feel trapped, and life wouldn't feel so dull. Let's pretend if we just didn't have that kid waking us up at two in the morning to puke, or poop, or pee, or if we didn't have to stay up at night for that teenager to get home, or if our kids could just be those little cherubs they once were, and they weren't these adults making these terrible decisions, if that were to happen, parenting wouldn't feel like toil. Let's pretend if we just went back to the pandemic when it wasn't as busy. Or let's pretend if our political ideology gets pushed through. If our view of race and how it should and shouldn't be handled, if that gets pushed through. Or what if our view of sexuality and gender, if everybody else finally agreed with me, then I'll be satisfied. And this book will knock that right out of our heads and hearts. It will never satisfy us. None of it. Money, wealth, greed, relationship, you name it. It is the treadmill. We will come up empty time and time again. Screwtape Letters, written by C.S. Lewis, gives this picture of the senior demon and the junior demon, and the senior demon says this, The horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart. It's an endless source of heresies in religion, folly in counsel, infidelity in marriage, and inconstancy in friendship. Can you think of instances where you feel like you've gained only to find in the very next moment that you are dissatisfied again? Has that ever happened to you? Well, let's look at his answer. What's the answer to his question? What what good is all this toil under the sun? If we see it, surely it gets more hopeful. (laughs) All right, here's the answer. Ecclesiastes 1.11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. Here's what he's basically saying. What gain is it? There is none. Because we're going to die, and then everybody else who comes after us, our children, they're going to die too. Let's close in prayer, right? Whenever I worked with, I worked with the Giants, New York Giants, for a little while. I, I had a very brief stint with them doing a chapel service, and, and I used this as well when I had to do a chapel service for the Tennessee Titans. I would pick out some of the more obscure Super Bowl MVPs, okay, uh, and from like 10 or 15 years before. And at the beginning of my talk, I would say, hey, how many of y'all know this guy's name? Oh, how about this guy's name? Not a single hand goes up. And the point I made is, hey, Guys, these people have reached the point that you are giving your lives for, and you've forgotten them. They're not remembered. They were only 10 years before you. 
Friends, it's just this picture that life goes on. And as it does, we will live and die and ultimately not be remembered. Here's what the author here would say. As we begin to learn to live, as we actually prepare to die, fast approaching disappearance from this earth, work its way into our lives as a reality, and that, treat, that teaches us how to grow in our perspective of self and the world around us. If the world around us doesn't last forever, how then should we live? Now this book goes on to answer this, but it takes a lot more than just this one chapter. It's more cumulative, but I think what we see here is the first step of this process, and it's actually accepting that we will die. That's the first step in learning how to live. One pastor said, a wise believer is a person who knows the length of their tether. So let's look at the last point in this idea of life over the sun. Because remember, under the sun is this picture of a godless reality, right? But as we move towards the end of this book, and especially as we uh, look at the bigger picture of Ecclesiastes, there is a reality that, you know what? The sun is actually under the Creator. The sun submits to the one who created it. What does it look like to write God back in to the story? You know, if you fast forward to the very last song of the musical Hamilton, it's unique in a musical to have someone other than the protagonist end uh, the whole musical, but in Miranda's work here, uh, he has Eliza actually be the last voice and the last say in this story. And she comes back in and she says, I'm putting myself back into the narrative. And as she does, you know what happens? She interviews all the soldiers who fought with Hamilton and she begins to tell her husband's story. She raises money for the Washington Monument, right? So Washington can be remembered. And one of the things uh, that both in history and in the song it says she's proudest of is an orphanage. And the reason she's so proud of it is because Hamilton himself was an orphan. And she felt the best way to honor him uh, was to start the first private orphanage there in New York City. And she did, and, and ended up uh, playing kind of a mother figure to hundreds and hundreds of orphans. Friends, what I want to push us to is this reality of, of when we write God back into our stories, the dynamic of futility changes. That as we look at this treadmill with the eyes of faith, it gives us a deeper understanding of the hope that is available to us. Let me give you a couple quick pictures and I'll draw to a close here. Ecclesiastes looks at the natural world and fails to see its progress, right? It's the treadmill, it's cycle over and over again. But do you know how the psalmist views it when God is written into the story of the sun and its work? 19.5, it says, The sun comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber and it's painting this picture of the sun every day in the cycle of worship of God. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. When we look at the winds and water and we think of the bathtub and all of its futility, ugh, what's the point? Well, we see at least some aspect of purpose in Psalm 104 where it says God lays the beams of His chambers on the water. He makes the clouds His chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. 
he makes his messengers winds and his ministers a flaming fire. He's basically saying, even in the mundane cycles, I am being glorified. I am being served by my own creation. George Washington Carver, a famous black scientist from the early 20th century, says this, I love to think of nature as unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every day, every hour, and every moment of our lives if we will only tune in and remain so. He's not stuck in the futility of the cycles of the world around us. What about our pain? What about our toil? What about the fact that, uh, you know, we live in fear that we will be forgotten and so will our suffering? Well, God reminds us in places like Lamentations where Jeremiah had been lamenting for chapter upon chapter, calling God like a mama bear getting ready to attack him. That's how life feels for me right now, God. But even in the midst of the cycle of pain, he remembers that God himself also inserts cycles of mercy that meets us in those moments of pain. Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Just like the sun rises every morning, so do His mercies. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. What about we will be forgotten? Psalm 56. Talking specifically about our suffering, it says, You, God, have kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And friends, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but God himself wrote himself back into the story in the person of Jesus Christ. Matthew 1. He came into the story to save his people from his sins. In the midst of the futility and that which never feels novel or new, do you know what Christ calls himself? The new covenant. Do you notice the nature of the work that he does in his people that we said in our assurance of pardon earlier in 2 Corinthians 5, he is making us new creations. And then, friends, as we follow the thread of the story all the way to the end in the book of Revelation, in the midst of the mundane, here's the promise that we read at the end of the story. He, Jesus, who is seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty from running on the treadmill, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And to the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Remembered, heritage. God himself calling us sons and daughters. And that will never be lost. Friends, that's the hope of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of futility. Let me end with this quote uh, as we move to communion. Phil Riken says this, In this book, when we finally say, why bother? The answer is that we have a Savior who looked at all the futility and frustration we suffer in this fallen world and chose to suffer it with us and for us so he could actually do something about it. That's the hope in the midst of what feels like futility. Let me close us in prayer as we move to communion. Lord, I look out 
and my friends, and I know that there is much pain, Lord, there is stoicism and fatalism, believing all is vanity. Lord, I pray that if we are hyper-focusing under the sun, you would lift our eyes over that heavenly body into the true Son, S-O-N, in you, King Jesus. Help us to answer that call of faith in the moment to remember that you remember. You remember our toil, our suffering, our tears are in your bottle. Lord, that you entered into the suffering and pain of this world to make it one day new. Father, would you just draw that hope home, especially as we move towards the table this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen.